1.2 trillion dollars. Ben, how many zeros are in 1.2 trillion? I don't know. What do I look like? A math major? Welcome to another episode of Me and My Team and the News. Yes, we're going to be talking a little bit about infrastructure and numbers and media and news, but it's uh, so good for you to join us again. I'm Tim. And I'm Ben. And uh, this has been an interesting time as we are now in mid to late November uh, in the news world and in the school world. Uh, Benjamin, you have finished your soccer season and you are now a couple months into being in school normally, classes and everything. So have you fallen asleep in class yet? Yeah. (laughs) Every day? Not every day, but like towards like the end of the week, yeah. Yeah, because you know why you're not getting enough sleep. It's not my fault school starts at 7.25 a.m. Yeah, Yeah, we've been through that, you know, but that's okay. So, uh, Matt, you know, so what what have you seen in the coverage of the big infrastructure deal? Not a whole lot, because Kyle Rittenhouse exists. Oh, yeah, that's been obviously a big trial. So, all right, we'll talk about Kyle Rittenhouse first. So, did you follow that trial? A bit. Did you follow, did you see, like, the actual news around the the trial and the legal arguments, or did you just kind of see the headlines? I I saw, like, the stuff about, like, what each side was arguing, and... Yeah? Yeah. What did the general tone feel like before the verdict? Like, were you drawing, did you have a conclusion, or did you have an opinion on on what the jury should do, or...? Eh, not really. Yeah. Yeah, but I know there's definitely two camps who feel very strongly about this, and yeah, politicized justice, yay. (laughs) Well, tell me about the the legal arguments. Tell me about what you read about. uh... So, prosecution was basically arguing that Rittenhouse provoked the attacks, Mm -hmm. and defense was arguing that it was in self-defense. That's what it boiled down to. Yeah. Prosecution definitely made a few blunders. Okay, so you didn't see that media coverage. It talked about a- analysis of how well they decided their jobs, but mm-hmm. did they talk much about the actual substance of the arguments and the witnesses that you saw, or did you not really see much of that? Not really. Mm-hmm. It was more of the, it's like in politics, we talk about horse race coverage, who's winning and who's losing, as opposed to the substance of what was happening. So this is a high-profile trial, yet... The, you really had to look if you wanted to see the actual arguments that were being made in court beyond mm-hmm. just the very surface headlines, right? Yeah. And so when you talk about there being winners, losers, one side this, one side that, uh, you know, in theory, in the U.S. legal system, uh, trials, you know, are supposed to be something that is an objective thing until you see all the evidence presented at trial and then you weigh the evidence and make a decision. But that's not how we or the media sort of approach it, right? We start with sort of like this side says this, that side says that. You're picking one side or the other, and then you watch the trial if you're interested in it from one side or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you end up with a lot of confusion, anger, and lack of understanding. But uh, did you see in coverage or in your own opinions, did you see? a uh, side that was being taken through most of the trial or was it just sort of a very here are the facts of what's going on uh i think it was definitely a very politicized trial Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, both sides were getting angry over certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, there was one controversy where the judge had the jury clap for a defense member because it was Veterans Day and that member of the defense council was a veteran, which, you know... Hmm, that's unusual. Yeah. The judge was a bit uh, erratic in this trial. Yeah. Uh, So coverage about the personalities involved stood out. Yeah. What about, uh, so the argument from prosecutors was largely that uh, Rittenhouse created unnecessarily the danger by taking this gun uh, and going to the town where the protests were happening. Um, and that if he had not done that and sparked the anger, uh, there would not have been anybody dying. Um, and so sort of a reckless endangerment sort of thing. But at any point along the way, I guess the defense looked at it and said, okay, this step's not illegal, this step's not illegal, this step's not illegal, right? Like, he legally had the gun. He was legally, I guess, able to take it into Wisconsin. He was legally allowed to stand where he was standing with the gun. Um, And so what's right or wrong, or morally right or wrong, or a good idea or a stupid idea, in the end, don't matter in a court of law, right? It's just about, you know how these laws were. And I think, you know, both sides of the verdict, well, both, like, camps, you know, left versus right, are kind of wrong. You know, the right's, like, turning him into a people's champion, a hero, Mm -hmm. and the left's kind of making him, like, the next KKK leader. Right. And I don't think he's either of that. Like, what I've seen from this trial is a stupid kid made mm-hmm. bad decisions, but not illegal decisions, and was goaded on by police. And, you know, it's not necessarily not his fault, but he can't have all the blame put on him. It's kind of a society thing, you know? Police were, like, thanking him, encouraging him. Protesters were rioting, so that's an issue. Right. It was a whole, uh, I don't know. How should I describe it other than complete chaos on every front, you know? Right. Like, he's no hero. He What he did wasn't necessarily right, but it wasn't necessarily wrong. It wasn't... It's more gross incompetence than yeah. actual malice. And I think that's what the defense was able to present. You know, they made the argument... This guy's just an idiot. And, you know, that doesn't, again, I'm not saying he was justified. I'm not saying he was a, he's not supposed to be thought of as a hero, I don't feel like. But again, I don't think either side is justified in their respective views. It's like these public figures become sort of figureheads for causes whether they want to or not and it's and it's hard to step back and say no this is a trial about individuals and their individual actions um but he was how old was he when this happened 17 17 and so you're 15 yeah um and so could you imagine that someone your age or just two years older would feel compelled to travel to a protest scene 
uh, armed publicly with large guns or a large gun and um, try to defend businesses sort of the, uh, the sort of kind of true believer aspect of vigilante yeah yeah I mean that, that seemed so far removed that you or your friends wouldn't think to do that uh man that's a hard question it's a good one but you know I feel like the best answer I can give is this is America so probably yeah you know when like guns and school shootings and violence are so much in the teenage culture it kind of just becomes you know when it's like 15 year old kids shot someone it's just background noise at this point right and I think that's an issue mm -hmm. and you know we talked about teenage your teenage brain and that the risk assessment is not something that the teenage brain is really ready to handle not really um, and I'm glad you recognize that since you just got your driving permit. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's a it's an impressionable age, you know, to be teenagers to early twenties and to be swayed and persuaded that you can do the right thing and no harm will come, um, or what you think is the right thing, even though it's a really stupid thing because that's what young people do uh, and old people too sometimes. Um, so. What I haven't seen any coverage of is how he got there in the sense of what drove him to think it was a good idea to take this gun to go, quote, protect businesses or whatever. And it did speak to something that doesn't get largely covered. And for me, this remembers when the Ferguson uh, riots first started here in uh, Missouri, where we're visiting right now. Um, there was an open question of like, why are they letting all of these businesses be ransacked? Why are they letting these, you know, all these, these protests and riots happen and nobody's being arrested and nobody's being stopped? And you had all these shop owners uh, and restaurant owners, largely family or locally owned ones, have their businesses destroyed. And they're like, wait a minute, we've been paying our taxes and we have our business and now the police won't even stop it. They're just letting it all happen. And I think what's been underplayed is how angry that made a lot of people, um, including the people in those communities whose property was being destroyed. And so that becomes something that people say, well, if the police aren't going to do it, then I need to do it myself. This happens a lot in hockey. If the referees don't make calls to protect players when other players are playing dangerously, the players take it into their own hands and start elbowing and fighting and cross-checking people. Hmm. And uh, I know that comparing hockey, you know, sport to tragic news is not necessarily the best thing to do, but yeah. there's that element of if people don't feel protected and if they're led to feel not protected, then they'll take out their frustration and their anger themselves. And that of course is fed into by the national narrative of, this side versus that side, yeah. and them and us and them and us and them and us, and uh, it, it. But it's it's fascinating to see the surprise. Like I was surprised by the verdict um, in the Rittenhouse case, but you thought he was guilty. I was surprised that it was even like I thought it was going to be sort of automatic, but I didn't follow the news that closely. Right. Yeah. Uh, once I started to see the trial coverage a little bit, I thought, oh. Yeah, legally, he's got a decent case here, but I thought he'd be convicted of something, you know. Um, 
like even if it was a lesser crime of yeah, that's what I thought. Reckless I was like, endangerment or something. Yeah, I could. I was honestly kind of like leaning on. Okay, maybe it's not like intentional homicide, but like there's got to be some law against being an idiot running around with a gun. And you then know? I realized this is America. We're all idiots with guns here. <laughs> it's part of the national character, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's probably an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, he wasn't in the right. The stuff he was being accused of, he's innocent of, but that doesn't make what he did right. That doesn't mean he didn't do something morally wrong. You know? You know, when you have an argument, there's there's no law against being an idiot running around with a gun during a riot. That's okay, sure, fine, that's technically true. That doesn't make you, you know, the next Jesus, but... All right, fair enough. You'll take your not guilty. And I think as a society, we have to reassess, should it be illegal to run around like an idiot with a gun? Or do we just want more Kyle Rittenhouses? Right. And what does this mean for the future? With the next 17-year-old impressionable kid with a gun, you know, who sees this and uh, maybe more tragedies will happen. Yeah, Um, that's definitely... Fear, And moving on, another high-profile trial taking place, the trial for the three men accused of killing Ahmad Arbery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that one's slightly more cut and dry. Yeah, and we should say for our listeners, uh, as we record this, the jury is currently deliberating. Um, so, so by the time you hear this, there may be a verdict, but uh, the, at this moment, there's no verdict in the case. Yeah, and... I feel like this one, for me at least, looks a lot more cut and dry because they were using the citizens' arrest law as their main case. Yeah. And I'm like, citizens' arrest is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And the thing is, they don't even meet that threshold because in order to make a citizen's arrest, that'd be like, if I saw you shoplifting, I'm allowed to hold you down until police arrive. Mm-hmm. But they just kind of assumed that, hey, I think I've seen this guy before. Well, he's black, so that probably means he's a criminal. Ah, quick, get the guns. Yeah, and chase after him in a truck, which, that's such an awful, awful story. But it also is a story where if the video had not existed, um, there probably wouldn't even be a trial. Yeah, I I can see that. And that's a thing. Yay for video surveillance, I guess. <laughs> yeah. See, there's the downside to uh, video everywhere is that you do feel a little bit like it becomes a surveillance state in some sense. Yeah. But the upside is when people do terrible things, you have proof. Yeah. I definitely feel like that one's a lot more, this case, the Ahmad Arbery case is a lot more cut and dry, especially because there's audio recordings of the men using the N-word. Mm-hmm. So I feel like argue that it wasn't racially motivated is very, very difficult. Unfortunately, those audio recordings weren't allowed in court for some reason. Well... Because justice. You know, uh, because because motivation probably wasn't as much the key legal part of this, but it is fascinating that that one of the key arguments for prosecutors is, um, you guys said you're making a citizen's arrest, but nobody called the police. I mean, clearly you had cell phones because you were taking video on your cell phones. 
Yeah, and they shot him, then called the police. Right. Also, they didn't see him commit the crime. They were just like, hey, I feel like we've seen that guy in that abandoned house before. I mean, it's probably him, so good enough for me. Right. And that is... One of the neighbors, the guy, there's like the McMichaels, so... Mm -hmm. The elder and then his son. And then there's another guy who just saw these two in their truck chasing guys with guns and like, you know what? Uh, <laughs> that looks kind of fun. Joined right in. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely feel like this one's more cut and dry. And with the Rittenhouse one, I came into it with a bit more of an open mind. This one, I will be very, I will be kind of mad mm -hmm. if they aren't. Right. You know, I feel like. They are going up against a nearly all-white jury. There's only one black juror. Well, we shouldn't assume, though, that people, just because of their skin color, will make judgments one way or another. Yeah, but unfortunately, it has happened that way, so, you know. Do, uh, have you read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Was that one of your school assignments? I have not read that yet. Mm, a lot of parallels here. I mean, it's fiction versus reality in 70-year-old book versus today, but... It's funny how the uh, trial in that case and the way that it ends speaks toward where we were as a society and, you know, the time, it felt like something a long time ago, but in some ways we're still there. However, since you haven't read the book, it probably doesn't mean anything to you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Next assignment for you, you can read To Kill a Mockingbird. I'll put it in the pile. And after that assignment, then you can figure out how many zeros are in 1.2 trillion. Uh, so the infrastructure deal that passed, yeah. uh, I'm particularly curious to talk about number representation in the media. But before we do that, uh, so like the coverage of that, what have, you, what have you seen in terms of coverage of the infrastructure deal? Honestly, not a whole lot, because first of all, it's infrastructure, so it's naturally the most boring thing on the planet, and, you know, unfortunately, it's happening the same time as the two highest profile trials yeah. since Derek Chauvin. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, imagine if, an infra if this infrastructure bill was passed during the during the verdict of the OJ trial. No one would care. Right. And that's basically what's happening right now. It's it's infrastructure, so, you know, murder trial, cool. So the massive deal that's passed, uh, a huge part of the legislative agenda, agenda of the White House, and uh, people aren't noticing it the same way, you know, that but some of the coverage you must have seen just in terms of the deal passes and here's what it means, here's the money will be spent on. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, I've seen a decent amount. It's yeah. definitely a pretty big investment. I would have liked more money for high-speed rail, though. Oh, yeah? I feel like that kind of got the shaft again. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it is high-speed rail in America, so it's never going to actually happen. I mean, we have planes, right? So, um, But Amtrak got a lot of money out of it. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of an interesting thing, considering especially I just, I President actually, Biden spends a lot of time, did spend a lot of time on Amtrak. You know, I think I realized that Amtrak got a lot of money because, you know, after the infrastructure deal passed, for some reason, I started getting a lot of ads like, take a trip on Amtrak. Really? Yeah. I didn't even know they were advertising. I didn't either. 
I've been, been on an Amtrak train. Now, we don't live on the East Coast, where it's much more common. Yeah. Uh, and we live in the East middle of nowhere, so... But I, I did take a train, uh, Amtrak train across the country once. And it was kind of a nice ride, but it did take a long time. When I later realized the flight was two hours and the train was 27 or something. <laughs> but uh, the thing that I've noticed in this is all the headlines that have come out of it. There's, the, there's political wrangling, you know, the inside politics thing. But most of it's been like... Hey, this bill passes now. You know this horrible bridge can get fixed, or now we can do these things. And they've been sort of very positive stories about the good that the money will do. I haven't seen any headlines really about like, hey, uh, there's a downside to this, and this is how much it costs. So it's oh, generally, I've seen the downside. Have you seen those? What yeah. do you think Fox News has been doing? Mm, I guess that's probably true. Fox News praising Kyle Rittenhouse and destroying infrastructure since 2021. Well, you know, they, they have lots of slogans. Um, but the thing I'm curious about is, you know, the way we mentally think about numbers, especially in the paper or on television, make a big difference in how we perceive something as being a lot of money or not a lot of money. So $1.2 trillion dollars. It's another way of saying $120 billion times 10, or $12 billion a hundred times, or $1.2 billion a thousand times over, or $120 million 10,000 times, right? And at a certain point, it begins to seem like, well, it doesn't seem like so much money in some sense. But our brains can't really comprehend that abstract and tell the difference between, if I were to tell you this infrastructure bill was $1.2 billion instead of $1.2 trillion, Mentally, it doesn't seem like necessarily a huge difference. Of course not. We have lots of people worth more than that. This infrastructure bill is only like five Elon Musks. He's mm. now the richest guy in the world, by the way. Yeah, paper, and, uh, on paper, so to speak. On paper, yeah, but like in actuality, also, yeah, he's worth like $300 billion now because Tesla stonks go zoom, you know? Yeah. That's... I mean, I feel like it's hard for, like, the average person to comprehend, like, how much money that really is. Like, if you were, say, working, making, you know, let's say you get paid a really, really good salary of $120 an hour. Yeah. It's going to take, like, what? A hundred million hours. A hundred million hours. I don't think humans even live for a hundred million hours. <laughs> could literally work since like 1 BC up until now and you still wouldn't have that kind of money. Yeah. Which unfortunately is a lot of that. Uh, our government doesn't have the money because we actually don't have the money that we spend. Um, of course not. We spend it all on the military. Where do you think that $250 million a day goes? Yeah, is that how much it is? Yeah, $250 million a day. Over a billion dollars a week. You know, 1.2 trillion, that's enough to fund the entirety of the U.S. military for, like, a few months, a month and a half. I don't know how long it would take, but no no more than a year. Again, back to math school for you. Yeah, yeah, no. Anyway. Yeah. And so then there's, of course, the talk of the Build Back Better bill, uh, so to speak, they called the 1.8 trillion. And, you know, it's like 1.2 trillion, 1.8 trillion, that sounds the same. Well, it is $600 billion difference, and 600 billion is a lot of money. Um, and only two Elon Musks. <laughs> it's a new unit of money, the Elon Musk 
like the Kardashians was was a new uh, marriage length metric a few years ago. Um, again, I guess that's before you were paying attention to the news. I still don't pay attention to the Kardashians. No. If I wanted to go stare at pieces of plastic trash, I'd go look at the ocean. No, Ayo, we are got not. Got him, got him, no, got him, no got him. we don't talk about people that way, Benjamin. But it's the Kardashians. We do not talk about people that way. Even famous people are still people, and you do not treat them as punchlines. You treat them as people. Eh, I still treat them as punchlines. Anyway, speaking of plastic, uh, there was a UN Climate Summit a while ago. Yeah. And the general consensus was, yeah, the world's screwed, but that seems like a later problem. Wait, they fixed it all right? They, they just fixed everything in the summit? They got, no, they no, got they made a commitment to fi- no, no, they made a commitment to fix it later. Or a commitment to committing later to commit something to fixing something? Yeah, that. Yeah, it's funny. These climate summits tend to do that same thing over and over again. Of course over not. Again. I mean, what about the coal and oil companies? Does anyone think about their short-term quarterly profits instead of the future of humanity? Hmm. It is a tough call. Hmm. I say we just not have oil companies. I don't know. Like, I feel like the oil's in the ground. If I find oil under my town, doesn't that oil belong to the town, not some stupid corporation that comes to suck it all up? No, everything belongs to corporations. I don't want the corporations to have it. Screw corporations. Well, everything's corporations. I don't like corporations. Well, then you're in the wrong country. Every country has corporations. Well, then you're in the wrong planet. Uh, New planet for you. Okay, I don't like, I don't hate all corporations. I specifically hate oil corporations. Mm. You know, did you know that 71% of the Earth's CO2, like that humanity emits, is done by the top 100 companies? The other 29% is everyone else. So when you say that the uh, top 10, top how many companies? 100 companies. I mean, like, what is that? Does that include people using those companies' products, you know, like... No, no, just the companies themselves. What? Yeah. Like like, like what? What do they do? Like, are these oil refining refining companies? Oil refining companies, tech companies, mining companies, anything that extracts anything, kind of. Really? In a non-sustainable way. Let's see. Yeah, ExxonMobil. They, they, they do a lot of garbage. Uh, any mining company, which there are a lot of. Yeah, I do know, the, was it, the, uh, the sand uh, tar pits up in Canada. It's, it's insane to see the size of vehicles they use just to turn that into um, electricity. But... Uh, surely these companies are just doing things that benefit all of humanity. Yeah, sure. I mean, we like having cars, right? And electricity. Yeah, but I'd also like to have a future. Yeah. But fortunately for the people attending the climate summit, their average age was like 68 or something, so they're not that worried about it. Yeah, I mean, a few people were worried about it, you know, like any of the island nations. I think the climate minister of Tuvalu actually mm-hmm. delivered his speech in like three foot deep water saying, yeah, this used to be land a few years ago. Now it's not. Please stop my island from sinking. Really? I didn't see that. Yeah. No one did because it's America. No one cares about the climate. That's I mean, not... that's like a poor people problem. Ugh. Well, it's not that nobody cares. I mean, there is that hope that uh, large parts of, of Florida might go underwater. 
Yeah, there's always that hope. That's, we don't mean that, of course. Just certain yes, small, tiny cards. Um, like all of Miami? No, Miami's awesome. Actually, there isn't any in Florida that I really want to go underwater. But it may take something like that for people to wake up and say, wait a minute. No, this isn't a them problem. This is an us problem. But by that time, it's already too late. It's already here. It's just not affecting, you know, right. Ohio, Missouri. It's affecting Bangladesh, Tuvalu, yeah. the Marshall Islands, you know, poorer countries who don't even emit that much crap into the atmosphere. Yeah. You know, the two biggest polluters are the U.S. and China, and they barely have anything to worry about besides their island territories. Well, and, that, and that's a long time. That's been something that even within the U.S., the pollution uh, because of the wind patterns that's created in the in like the Midwest, say, for example, old, the old-style old coal plants in particular, well, the winds carried that all east. So where the pollution was happening, um, you didn't even notice it. But in the Northeast, every day is where it would be full of pollution and it would all would have come from the Midwest. Yeah, and... I think there's a general mentality among humans, especially wealthier countries, as, well, this doesn't immediately affect me. I have this really nice pile of money, and I'd like to really add more to that really, really nice pile of money. And honestly, I just really don't care about your future. Sorry. Well, then part of that challenge is, you know, in a democracy where you can convince lots of people like hey this is the right thing to do but if companies or people have individual choices they will make at least some of them make the choices that benefit only them in a more authoritarian style of government you could you know if you're china and a communist government you can say that's it no more oh uh, yeah because china cares about the environment they did <laughs> it is china who's mandated all electric cars by 2028 or something like that but, uh, you know, the, the upside to authoritarian government, and I'm not saying it's a good thing in general, is that you can make sweeping changes for Fast. good just in the same way you can make those changes for bad. Yeah. Whereas in a democracy, it's pretty hard to change anything. The thing is, I have to believe that the majority of Americans realize that climate change exists and they want to do something about it. But I feel like, as a young person especially, it's kind of like screaming at politicians and then ExxonMobil just puts some earmuffs on them. Like, mm. yeah, yeah, I mean, you could listen to the majority of your constituents. That is kind of how democracy works. But what about your re-election campaign? I mean, like, I don't know. Your primary challenger really likes us. We just might endorse him if you don't support this bill to kill clean energy. Well, so I feel like it's really frustrating at this point just screaming into a void and the older generation being like eh that's a you problem sucks to be you yeah well we don't actually have the power to change anything and then we feel like it's powerless we're not going to change it anyway so let's go on with the rest of our lives and just ignore it yeah that's basically what happens it's yeah hey why waste my time screaming into a void my throat's going to get hoarse doing that might as well just go on. And I think that's letting the oil companies win. So, like, what's the solution? How do we break this cycle? I'd say it's by dissolving huge corporate oil companies and diminishing their in 
their interests in politics, you right. know, yeah. saying, hey, ExxonMobil, you can't donate that much money to McConnell. Uh, okay, so there is definitely the idea of changing the funding for elections. How about none? But disbanding oil companies or the state taking them over, I mean, that's what happens in places like Venezuela. And we say terrible things about that. No, no, nah, nah, I say we just don't use oil anymore. Oh, just, okay. Or at least no more foreign oil. There. Then we won't have any reason to go to the Middle East and fight there. You Saves know, us even more money. You know, the U.S. Say. is an exporter of oil now. We are? Yeah. How about we stop that? Well, no, I mean, like, you know, we actually create more oil gas in the U.S. than is used, and so we actually export. Yeah, so how about we uh, stop creating more than we use and just slowly the rest of the world. and just wean off what we already have and just stop using oil? Yeah. Honestly, I'd be cool with that. It is, and this is a topic for another day, but the you mentioned sort of the problems that have caused war in the Middle East and other places. Well, Iraq and Iran, Iran in particular, the history of how that state happened and turned so anti-American has a lot to do actually with the British Petroleum Company. But we will save that topic for another day. And we're so glad that you joined us here. But first, I want to make sure you know about Post by Futuri. Post is what top podcasters use to optimize and maximize their podcasts and their revenue. We've been using Post since we started this podcast. And I can tell you it's easy, it's fast, and it's great quality. Check out Post by Futuri for your podcast adventure. And thank you for joining us on this podcast adventure for another episode. I'm Tim. And I'm Ben. And this is me and my team and the news. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>